think it was very difficult last year, but it was pretty evident that um, it wasn't exactly uh, how I wanted and how I visioned our team playing, how the development of the players um, uh, was being uh, done within the club, within the facility. Two months, Inter Miami spoke with us and answered some of the questions about the direction of the program. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Miami Total Football Radio, or as I'd like to say in Spanish, Miami Total Football Radio. I'm Franco Panizo, and I'm your co-host on this week's podcast. And with me, as always, and once again, is David Beckham's long-lost cousin, Steve Brenner. Steve, how are you doing, man? How was your weekend? And how did you take the first time, the first opportunity to talk to Inter Miami in quite a while? Yeah, no, yeah, all, all good. It was, it was. I thought it was really interesting. You know, obviously we have to put it in context because of all the situation. You know, the COVID situation. We're not actually physically going to the press conference, so it definitely has a different feel to it. It's not ideal doing it over Zoom. Um, you know, normally we'd been down in the stadium and there'd be, you know, we'd, we'd speak to them on off the side of the stage and we'd, you know, start getting much more rapport with, with the people in charge. And, um, and you know, just it just be easy. You know, we were restricted to one question each. So it's it's difficult. But saying that, I still think that, you know, I thought they, they spoke well. Um, you know, we weren't able to really get into the guts of, of everything that went on last season. But it, from... It looked like they were basically just ready to sort of brush whatever happened last season under the carpet and just just start again. They, they're rebooting, they're having a fresh start, and um, you know I, I thought they they both Neville, uh, Phil Neville, David Beckham, and Jorge Mas all, all came across pretty well and, and spoke well about and Chris Henderson, sorry, the new sporting director, just talking about their vision for the for the future. So I mean, it felt like a, a fresh start. Steve, you said we were all limited to one question, but. I mean, I feel like everybody, myself included, asked, asked two um, whenever we were called upon. So we definitely skirted the rules there a little bit. At least most of us did. And there is plenty to chew on based on what they all said. And we're going to dissect it all. We're going to touch on it all. Um, you know, I, I told you on last week's pod that I think we're going to uh, debate a little bit more this this year, this season. And I think it's going to start probably today. We're probably going to duke it out at some point and, you know, have to wrap on the, the strap on the b- boxing gloves and, and go at it at Inter Miami Stadium. But um, this could be the start of it all because I think we're going to have very different viewpoints on, on a lot of different things beginning maybe today. So before we get into all of that, you know, just as a reminder to everyone to give us a follow on all our social media accounts at Miami Total Football on YouTube and Facebook and at MIA Total Football on Twitter and Instagram. Also, please, if you can, give us uh, some feedback, uh, a comment, or a review on Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes, and that helps us obviously get to a larger audience and helps us grow and be able to bring you more of this type of content on a regular basis. But with all that said, Steve, let's get to it. Steve, as we said, we finally were able to talk to not only the new head coach, Phil Neville, and sporting director, Chris Henderson, but we were able to speak to co-owners, David Beckham and Jorge Mas, and they shed some light on a lot of things, not only about the direction of the franchise going forward, 
after these appointments, but they also kind of left a little bit of crumbs as to what happened in 2020 that resulted in this in these decisions being made. Now, they didn't necessarily say directly, hey, this is where Diego Alonso fell short, nor did they say, hey, this is where Paul McDonough fell short, but they definitely left you with a little bit of something, which I think this is why let's do something a little different on this pod. Let's listen to some of the quotes or some of the more notable quotes from the press conference and then just kind of share what we think about what's being said. So let's start with this one from Jorge Mas on what caused the changes. Let's start there so that we can then move forward into, you know, what's to come with Neville and Henderson. So here's Jorge Mas on what caused the changes this offseason. You know, last last season um, and, and the decisions that we've made about bringing on board uh, Chris Henderson and, and Phil Neville um, don't necessarily have to do with, with just wins and losses or the points uh, that we accumulated during during 2020. Um, for us, as, as we alluded to earlier, it's, it, it goes beyond that. It goes to what happens in non-game days. It goes to, um, you know, building a culture here that goes into how do we make players better here. And it goes from aspects of sports performance, medical, um, training, um, nutrition, education, um, you know, so many factors and facets that go into excelling on the field. You know, and we think that in bringing in new leadership that can help us excel in, in all of the areas that will make us a better club and a better team. And again, establish a DNA and culture that's a reflection of ownership's aspirations. Um, and we felt that bringing Chris and Phil at this time were, were the leaders that we needed for, for the following chapters of Inter-Miami in, in 21 and beyond. Steve, after listening to that again, and maybe even when you heard it on Friday, but what are, you, what are your takeaways listening to that quote from Jorge Mas. Yeah, you know, I think reading between the lines, it was, it's very critical, really, of, of, of that previous regime, which, which, which was headed up from the start from, by, by Paul McDonough. I mean, we got to, if you go back a year and we think about what we were talking about this time, sort of around last year, you know, they hadn't got any players, they hadn't appointed a manager. Diego Alonso had been appointed this by then, but you get my drift. It was a sort of, it was a rush, wasn't it? The stadium was being built. You know, everything was going on. It'd just be a relief once they they, they kick off, um, you know, and get eleven players on the pitch. But then, in retrospect, you look at what happened, and you know, Paul McDonald was pretty much in charge from the from from the get go, and that was his job, obviously, to direct things and get players in and create squads and and do everything and, and set up a front office and and uh, you know framework within the coaching coaching setup to to establish them as an elite team for what they wanted to be. And clearly, you know, when Jorge Mas is saying it goes from aspects of sports performance, medical training, nutrition, education, you know, they felt that they weren't, we won't settle for mediocrity. I think it's, it's pretty damning of, of the job that he felt that Paul McDonough had done. And then Diego Alonso then, then came on. We were, we were talking off air, weren't we? You know, nearly, nearly a whole, whole team, like 12 players, I think, that were signed by Paul McDonough and or Diego Alonso have now left left the club. So it wasn't working maybe on a, on a number of levels. And the fact they've made these changes, just, you know, that it's it's as clear as day. They, they clearly weren't happy. Yeah, at least a dozen players have left um, since last season, obviously. And it, it tends to happen, maybe not when you're a little more successful as an expansion team, but there is some turnover with expansion teams because it's uh, the start of a new project. But 12, at least 12 players moving on in, in the first season is not necessarily a, a, a positive sign. And I agree with you that I think it's, you know, again, there's no 
names being put to this directly by Jorge Mas, but you know it's very clear that they were unhappy with the job that Diego Alonso and Paul McDonough put forth. And I and I agree with you, <laughs> yeah. especially when he says you know the aspects of sports performance, uh, medical training, nutrition, education. A lot of that stuff falls under Paul McDon- McDonough's umbrella, right? So that that goes beyond coaching. But there were other points where coaching was brought up and, and something we'll touch on a little bit later because they also touched on player development. And, you know, they re- they referred to the academy and bringing players up from there, which I think was one of the overarching themes of this press conference. But they also referred to it with the first team. And that clearly falls on, on Diego Alonso, you know, Julian Carranza, Matias Pellegrini, the, the club's first two signings. Neither one of them had an exceptional season. Both of them were pretty poor. I, I remember when we did our grades, I think they were both in the D range or maybe you gave one of them a C or a C minus, but it wasn't a very impressive showing from them. And there were a lot of players that you kind of felt, you know, punched below their weight or, or their expectations. Um, you know, I think I think Chris Henderson later on, in, when it was his turn to speak with Phil Neville, said to be successful in MLS with the salary cap, you need players that outperform their contracts. And Inter Miami, in my opinion, had far too many players that underperformed their contracts. We don't know what they were getting paid, but just the level of performance wasn't wasn't up to par. So um, clearly, not not Moss and, and Beckham were not happy with with the overall overall job that was done. But you can understand that, can't you? can understand they're not happy. You know, I mean, the, the COVID situation obviously didn't help. It made things much harder to, you know, the transfer market to navigate. The season was stopped, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the bottom line, Beckham watching, sat in the UK watching at home, wouldn't, wouldn't have been happy with what he's watching. And always four game mass. We used to watch him, didn't we, in the, in the stands, going crazy, you know, really living every moment. And he wasn't happy because the team on the whole weren't playing well at all, were they? It was terrible. So, you know, it, it's understandable. Yeah, like you said, when he says we won't settle for mediocrity as owners, I mean that's that right there is uh, a pretty a pretty sharp dagger being thrown. Um, I don't want know. to be a team with seven seven wins, scrape trying to scrape into the playoff in the last day in the middle of a was it, tropical rainstorm. They yeah. don't want they they want to be hose, home and dry and ready just to concentrate on the on the playoffs without having to go through all that. So that it wasn't good enough. It wasn't yeah, good enough. Yeah, the the ambitions have remained high. You know they. they even in this in this press conference, different different people spoke at different times, and you know the the ambition that the club has remains. The, the, the faces might have changed a little bit in terms of the leadership, but the ambitions remain for what they think they can become, and that's a global a global club that's one of the biggest uh, in in the world. So um, you know, and, and and he says that he says that you know Jorge Mas says that when he says we think as soon as he says the mediocrity, he follows that up with saying we think that in bringing in new leadership. That can help us excel. That will make us a better club. So clearly, yeah, they they yeah. they the year one was not only not good enough; it was really poor. It was really yes. poor, and that and that's what's led to the change. Because you could have maybe a disappointing season, and you know, say, all right, you know, we have we have to build on something. But I think that they didn't even see enough promising starting points to say let's continue with this, and that's why. Um, well, that's why they're saying, or more or less, our interpretation of what they're saying led to led to the changes. Um, yeah, and you could start your you could start your, your eye rolling now, but when you look at Beckham, you know, <laughs> he was at Man United. You know that that period they won everything. Then he went to Real Madrid. You know, he's captain England, played at World Cups. You know, he kind of knows the standard isn't 
you know what he what he knows exactly what he wants and what he aspires to. It's difficult to get to the level he probably wants, but certainly what was on show wasn't good enough, and that's it. Well, let's let's, let's go to the to that part about the player development because Jorge Mas again spoke about the issues of of twenty twenty. This was a, a shorter quote, but I think it's notable, so let's give it a listen. You know, I speak on behalf of David and us that the player development side of, of, of what happened in 2020 uh, was not to David's satisfaction or ownership satisfaction, especially with some of the young talent on the team. So all of the decisions that we've made are, are, are all driven by developing players, about when someone steps foot in Inter-Miami as a club, they become a better player and a better person. And we feel that uh, change in leadership was necessary in order to emphasize the things that we as ownership want to emphasize. So Steve, what, what do you take away from that? Again, I think it goes back to the point I made a little bit earlier ago about the likes of Pellegrini and Carranza and the younger players not showing enough. And, and again, not every young player is going to come in and, and kill it right off the bat, right? You know, they, they might have highs and lows, but there were way, the, the lows way far, sorry, the lows far outweighed the highs. I mean, Carranza had the one good game against Orlando City where he scored two goals, but then I don't think he had another notable game. I don't, and I don't, if I'm remembering correctly, he didn't score again the rest of the season. Pellegrini had one goal, and by and large, was a, a non-factor for for Inter Miami. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, they're just they're, they're not happy with it. I mean, you know, someone like Lewis Morgan, you could say, you know, improved under you know Diego Alonso's coaching and, and under his under his you know managerial wing you know he, he got better and better but you know we're not entirely sure what what's been happening with the, sort of the, the youth setups what's sort of happening just below the first team who who who's coming through who's looking good and other players like you say the ones you mentioned just didn't didn't improve or just didn't kick on someone like Pellegrini so young living in a foreign country for the first time it's very, it's very it was very difficult for him but there just wasn't enough so they needed two or three sort of Lewis Morgans to really sort of show it. And it was only really Lewis Morgan that kind of looked anything like a sort of promising prospect, even though he's what, 24. Um, yeah, they just it just wasn't happening on a number of levels. So I, I had heard something last year about one of the more promising prospects in the academy leaving. Um, and, and I never heard why, but the fact that one of your more promising prospects leaves... Your, your academy is not necessarily a good sign. So maybe that's something that, you know, that they referenced or that they were talking about when, um, especially when Beckham at one point, and, and you know, we, we have, we're not going to get to this quote because we can't get to the whole press conference, otherwise we'll be here uh, for two hours. But there was one moment where he says, we don't want people leaving the, the club Without you know, we don't want people leaving the club with essentially with with uh, a bad flavor in their mouth. You know, we want when people leave this club to to say things like if, if they had been here for 10, 15, 20 years. He want, he was just essentially saying that he wants them to leave on a positive note. Now I don't know if he was referencing this exact situation that that I'm telling you that I heard last year, but maybe because it it, it sounded very similar to that situation. Um, that I heard of in in 2020, but as we yeah, as we've alluded to in the past, <clears throat> the setup behind the scenes was you know there were there was some questionable stuff going on that didn't go down well with with a number of people and who people that found it just a bit difficult to to, to fathom what was what was happening etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So there were problems with the setup and that must have just seeped into different areas of 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 the, of the club you know as as it does. So this fresh start they're going to have fresh sporting director, fresh fresh coach. 
uh, maybe that will just refresh things and then they can have a look at it again. Well, speaking of head coach, head coach is Phil Neville now. And we had a good, healthy debate last week about his qualifications. Those questions came up during this, this press conference, but so did his relationship with David Beckham. And David Beckham and Jorge Mas and Phil Neville himself acknowledged that they are friends. They acknowledge that they're that they go way back, not just as teammates, but also as friends. So we're going to tap into that and dive into that. But let's hear both David Beckham and Jorge Mas on Beckham's relationship with Phil Neville. Of course, people are always going to turn around and say, oh, it's because he's your friend. It's nothing to do with him being my friend. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm an owner of a club with Jorge. Our ownership group don't just employ our friends. We employ the best people whether it's on the field, off the field, in our backroom staff, the staff that we have working at our training facility at the stadium, we are running a serious soccer club here. And I think at the end of the day, we hire people that we feel are best suited for the job. And my loyalty to to Phil um, has always been there because as a player, I relied on him to keep making those runs by the side of me, I never gave him the ball because I thought I was a better crosser of the ball than he was, so he never got those balls. Um, but I knew that he would keep, keep on making those runs because he knew that was what was best for the team. And he would make those decisions as a coach, uh, not just of our club, but a coach of our you know, academy system, of a coach of our USL team, and, and as, a, as a leader... That's why he's in this position. Nothing to do with the relationship that we have, the friendship that we have, the loyalty that we have to each other. He's the right man for the job. Let me, I'd like to interject something. Um, and, and I'll say it in, in, in maybe more direct terms than, than David can. Um, Phil Neville was not handed the Inter-Miami job. Phil Neville earned the job. There was a very thorough interview process um, with multiple candidates. As you may imagine, the Inter-Miami head coaching position is an extremely attractive position. There were um, inquiries and interests uh, from coaches from all over the globe. Um, you know, we, we and David as, as well, uh, conducted multiple interviews for the head coaching job uh, with a myriad of candidates with different backgrounds. So, you know, Phil earned it. Um, Phil is the right man for the job um, at this time. So, you know, the, the fact that he's David's friend is, is a reality, and no one runs from that. Actually, we, we embrace it. But, but he wasn't given or handed the job because he's friends with David Beckham or solely because of his relationship with David Beckham. Okay, Steve, I want you, and we don't have to harp on it too long because I know we did it last week, but I want you to defend Phil Neville. What, I, you know, I, I listen. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some some leeway here because I have two step cousins that are English. They were born in England. Um, I think they have some Peruvian ancestry in there. They're, they're step cousins. They listen to the podcast. Niall, Austin, what's up, guys? Thanks for listening. Um, but they both messaged me after they heard the pod last week, and they were both like, they both essentially had very similar takes to what you said, and they were like, "Oh, you got to give him a fair chance. He comes from Manchester United, and." You know, the, the great team of Manchester United. So you're not alone, but I want, you, I want, you, to, I want you to back up um, Phil Noble here. I never thought I was alone. And it's obviously great that members of your family have probably got maybe some more <laughs> soccer intelligence than you have. And it's great to know. Look, the thing is, is that with, with, you know, I grew up 
in that it, with their, you know, I'm relatively the same age as, as Neville and Beckham, give or take a couple of years. So I sort of witnessed them coming through that that great team with Man United. And at the time, living in England, they were just the team. You know, Beckham was was one of the stars. Phil Neville was a was a good 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 solid pro, good you know squad player. And so I'm I see the the story and their, 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 their progress from players to suddenly to being here in Miami. You know, I just I just think it's a great story, and, and with my English journalist hat on, you know, it's obviously a great it's a great story for you know about two in, English stalwarts of, of the game that have been around for the last sort of you know twenty five years. So, but you can't discount, and I know again, eye rolling, I can see it now, even though it's <laughs> over Skype. About and he hasn't got the, the he has had coaching experience. He's never had a you know a, a, a head coach's job, so to speak, not in the men's game. Obviously, he has with the women. Which I did think Beckham made a decent decent um, argument when he said that managing a women's national team in some ways is quite similar in MLS to, to the parallels with MLS are, are, are there in terms of he hasn't got a lot um, of negotiation in terms of you know um, ways to try and bring it bring in players you've got to try and develop players and coach players and, and really deal with what you've got rather than like being in the Premier League and spending millions on a, on a brand new squad, you can't do that in MLS. And he threw, he threw himself into a new situation, an uncomfortable situation for him initially. And, I, and overall, he did a decent job. He got to the World Cup semi-final. They won the She Believes Cup here. I know it you know, doesn't mean much in the grand scheme of things, but he definitely improved that team. And you can't discount his football upbringing and what he came from and playing with under at Alex Ferguson, playing with... Beckham and Keane and Scholes and Giggs and playing in the Champions League and all that kind of stuff. He's done all his coaching badges. You know, you've got to start somewhere. And I think he's not he's not just finished his career, put his kit away and just rocked up to Miami and said, oh, hello, here I am. You know, he's he's, he's done the hard yards. This is his chance. This is his opportunity. We're not, I'm not saying he's going to win, win the MLS Cup in the first season. But, you know, I think they, they did put their argument across that, yeah, look, OK, he hasn't been a head coach before, but... This is the kind of calibre of players and clubs and systems and, and managers that he's played under in the past, as Beckham has. And that will rub off, just like when they're trying to sort the front office out. They both were at Man United during one of the most successful eras ever in, in soccer, certainly in the UK, under one of the greatest managers of all time. So, you know, that can't have not rubbed off. And to be fair... It's not to say that anyone that played under Sir Alex Ferguson during that time at Man United is all of a sudden becoming like the new Jose Mourinho. I mean, it's a bit of a road <laughs> gallery. Steve Bruce, Mark Hughes, uh, Roy Keane. I was covered at Sunderland. He, I can't say he was an amazing manager. Uh, you know, Giggs. You beat Wales. me. You beat me. You beat me to a jab that I was just about to hit you with with regards yeah, I, to with regards yeah. to the qualification. Look, I, I I agree with you that you know I nodded my head and thought it was a good point. And when he compared the structure of England's women's national team to the structure of a, of a fairly new franchise in MLS and having to try to build something uh, that needs a lot of building. So uh, I, 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 I agree that's a good Beckham point. Knows, I agree that's Beckham a good point. knows how MLS works, obviously, having been at the LA Galaxy for what, six, seven years. So he, he also knows how, how it works. But anyway, carry on. No, I mean, I agree that that's a good point and maybe something that not everyone, including myself, had not taken into consideration. And it's a point for Phil Neville's appointment. But I, I can't agree. I can't sit here and agree with neither David Beckham nor Jorge Mas when they say things like Phil Neville was not handed the Inter-Miami job. Phil Neville earned the job. Or when you know they say it has nothing to do with him being my friend. 
I don't agree with either one of that. Exactly. So, okay, so let, hold on. Let, let's, let's, let's rewind. Let's rewind. Normally, who hires normally, right? In, in, a, in a regular setup, who hires the head coach? The ownership or the front office, whatever. So the, a sporting director normally hires the head coach. Which is not I the mean, case. They all speak to, they, you know, it's not. I mean, they all speak together. But yeah, I mean, it's it's, I mean, it's a collective. I, it's a collective, isn't it? Especially if you've got football people in the front office. Jorge Masses are going to be throwing his weight around. Correct. So about coaches, but Beckham is. But I'm saying there's there's not many clubs around the world where you're like, oh, you know, this this big soccer savvy experienced player is is part of the ownership group and has a very hands on role. This is a, this is unique. But normally, the sporting director hires the head coach. I cannot. I would not. I could not. I mean, I just don't see it. I don't see how, if you had given Chris Henderson a blank slate, you know, you had hired Chris Henderson a month ago, how he would have come up with Phil Neville as the choice he didn't because know. He his didn't. Big, he didn't correct, know, did he? correct. So that's he a, so that's a David Beckham uh, okay. decision. So so but, so how, and he, how does he get to Phil Neville as the choice? Not it's certainly not on qualification. Certainly not on resume. It's on. His knowledge of him as a person and as a teammate and as a friend. That's so I can't sit here and say, well, when he says it has nothing to do with him being my friend, that I can nod my head in agreement with that because that that's not true. That's not true. It, he he absolutely their friendship absolutely has something to do with this hiring. I mean, no, in yeah, my no, opinion, in my opinion, that's just my no, opinion. I mean, yeah, he he is his friend and he knows him because he's his friend. But he thinks that he would do a decent job here, and that is why. He's given him the job. It's not because they're friends. It's because he thinks. He oh, can I, do I, I don't doubt that he thinks that Phil Neville can do a good job. I, I I fully believe that. But I also believe that their friendship is what's gotten Phil Neville to this point to have this opportunity because this is a very ambitious club. And and I, and again, last week when we talked about Chris Henderson, we both raved about his credentials, his qualifications, his his resume. We can't do that for for Phil Neville. You can't. You can't. I don't think I. I'm de- I definitely can't do that. And I don't think you could either. You. You just can't point to his resume and say, "Look, look what he's done here, here, and here." No, wow, this I, is a great hiring. Now, maybe, maybe he'll. It'll end up working out. Maybe, maybe. So. But based, so. but based on his, based on what he's done, it, there's no consistency in terms of the hirings that they've made here because Chris Henderson is a proven guy who's had a lot of success. And that's why, you know, it's pretty unanimous, or I think general consensus is that he's a a home run hire, whereas Phil Neville had, there's, you know, there's some people that think he's going to do well, there's some people that are a little bit more skeptical, and some people think he's going to do really poorly. Um, So, you know, the jury will, he'll decide how, you know, what perception is by the job he does, you know, and for his sake and for the team's sake, you know, hopefully he does well, but he definitely is not... Uh, this this home run candidate that they made him seem because you know Jorge Mas says we had a lot of interest from a lot of candidates because this is a position that has uh, a lot of interest as you can imagine. So how is Phil Neville the chosen one out of all these people that apparently showed interest for this position? How, how because, is how how like what because it's, because it's not off because, his resume. You know, it's definitely not off his resume. No, it's not. But I mean, you know, Beckham has clearly got this vision for the club that he wants it to be. I mean, I did the story in the UK papers. We want we, Phil never wants to turn, you know, Miami into Manchester. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a bit of hyperbole, but he, that is the standard that he wants to set. He what he knows that he, he he wants to set the bar very very high using the the you know the way a club was built and and, and squads were fostered and, and relationships everything like that. 
He wants it carried out in the same way like he did when he was a player at Man United and Phil Neville was there alongside him at, at, at that point. That's not just saying, oh, just because he's done that, it's a... It's a but he knows you know, that because they were teammates and friends. That's that's how he has that insight into how Phil Neville operates as a person or as a player or as a as you know knows, a worker. They came, through, they came through the same they came through the same system. So then it's his friend. So the, the friendship has to do something with that. Of course they're friends. I mean they're not you know they're not gonna say we're not friends. He said they're fam they're family friends. He's known him twenty five years I and mean, you can't get away from that. But you also can't get away from the fact that yes, okay, it's Phil Neville's first proper job, certainly in the men's game. Um having been, you know, coaching a national team, a women's team for the last three years. Um, yeah, his, his friendship with Beckham has helped you. If he wasn't friends with Beckham, would he get the chance? You know, I, I don't know. But the fact that they played together and they've been through those same experiences gives him, you know, the idea that, that, that it can work if they're both working at it together to make it, to make into Miami, into the club that they wanted to make, you know, to, to happen. Would it be happen if, if Gallardo came from, from River Plate? Would, it, would they be able to do it in the same way? Would he be able to trust a Patrick Vieira or someone like that to try and, you know, uh, make his vision realised. You know, I just, I, I don't know. Uh, but he's clearly got a great relationship with him and he trusts him. So that's that's the how, thing. What, how, how, it, did you, how did you get on this? How, how, did, how did we establish this relationship where you became the podcast mate and, and in lieu of, of Eric Krakauer? How, how did that happen? Do you remember how that happened? Because um, I knew you. Because you knew me. And but I, also you knew I was the best man for the job. <laughs> <laughs> but but were we friends? Did had we had we at any point hung out and grabbed beers or or anything of the like? I mean, not really. But right. I mean, we've had right beers then. before. I didn't really know you then. But that's <laughs> Look, I, I I called you upon to the Miami Total Football uh, brass because I was like, this guy knows what he's talking about. And now I'm starting to second guess myself <laughs> on that on that. But no, look, hey, let's see how it plays out. Um, I, I, you know, hope, I think Inter Miami should improve under him because I think that with Chris Henderson on board and and the like, and given how bad they were in 2020, I don't think that there's much more room or there's not much room to to be worse. I think that they will improve. Can't imagine Gonzalo Higuain has another season where he only puts you know one ball into the back of the net. So I think Inter Miami should improve in 2021, but let's see if he can take him to the levels that that they want. Now, speaking of his experience, I asked him about it and this is what Phil Neville had to say about that. Afternoon. Uh, I, th- I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty simple. I think, I think when people throw about the lack of experience, I, I always throw back that actually I've got a lot of experience, a lot of experience of being around winners, a lot of experience about winning myself as a player, but actually coaching at the very top level with in Spain, with Valencia, at Manchester United and with the England national team getting to a World Cup semi-finals. Steve, we just had a, a long back and forth about it, so we don't have to dive into this quote, you know, that much. But anything there that, that you want to point to is as for why you you think again Phil Neville is is the right right guy. Yeah, no, you know, he, he he makes a point here about Valencia that he coached at Man United and also you know he coached the England women's national team. Yeah, you know, he got to the World Cup semi final. Yeah, great. The team didn't really progress as they wanted, but they did. They did move forward certainly in in other aspects certainly getting to the semi-final was was a, was a great achievement um you know and it was the same conversations when he got the job three years ago that he didn't have you know the requisite ex- experience to, to carry off the role and I, you know he did a, he did a decent decent job there so 
And this is his, this is his first opportunity as a, as a head coach. So um, you know, he's he's not just a fresh-faced rookie with no experience of what it's like to work inside some of the biggest football clubs and organisations in the world. He's got he's had that experience, a library of experience, I think he called it. You would, but, you would <laughs> yeah, yeah, a library of experience. Uh, I, so you wait, I, I want to ask you this because you would know this better than I would. What is the general feeling about his time with England's women's national team? Because, I, look, I, I'm just asking this because just yesterday, Saturday, I got an email from The Athletic, the you know the outlet, with an article. And you know, I think it just happened to be timely and, and uh, I think it's a coincidence in terms of how it happened. I'm sure you know the news hook obviously is part of it, but it was this, this email came in with this headline or this title, subject. And it was obviously a, a, an email sent out to subscribers to be like, hey, come read this piece. But this is what The Athletic Weekly sent on Saturday. England are no better than when Phil Neville arrived. That's a damning legacy. So, I don't, I mean, I'm not as familiar with what, how he did in, in, with the England women's national team. So, I'm asking you, Steve, how, you know, how is the perception or, or how do people view his job in his time there? Yeah, and no, I mean, you know, the, the gist of, of certainly the people that cover the women's national team sort of regularly was that they kind of stalled a bit under him. They had this great high where they got to the semi-final of the World Cup. The whole country was behind them. You know, women's football is not as big in the UK as it is in the US. It's growing and it's getting bigger. And I definitely think with him being like a sort of higher profile manager, that definitely got a lot more eyeballs on women's soccer and raised their profile, which is you know, obviously doesn't necessarily translate to success on the pitch, but that was one of the reasons why they wanted him to come in and also to give him that winning men feeling. It's funny, I, I covered his first press conferences when he when he took over the women's job because his first matches were actually here in the US, um, the part of the She Believes, she Believes Cup, you know, nearly three years ago now. So, and he was talking about, you know, bringing the winning mentality, the same sort of stuff he was saying the other day, but it kind of stalled after the World Cup. They went on a bit of a lull and, it did, and then, then COVID hit. And then they hadn't, didn't play. And then he was hanging around, waiting for other other jobs. And, you know, I think some of them felt that he was he should have quit. You know, they had a, a new, uh, the former Netherlands coach, Weigman, coming in in, in sept- this September. Um, so it went a little bit sour. But on the whole, you know, I think he, he did a decent job. The critics would say that they, they slumped badly after the World Cup. And then it, he, the, it kind of went in a bit of free fall. And, you know, he didn't look that interested or it, they just they didn't kick on as they wanted to. But... You know, on the on the whole, he did you know he did a, a decent decent enough job given the circumstances, especially in the, in the final year. So look, didn't set the world alight, but definitely made progress and and raised the profile with with the way he operated, not just on the pitch but just off the pitch with players and the, his man management and all that kind of stuff. So you know, I, he will come out of that a better a better coach and a more experienced coach for sure because. You know, World Cup semi-final with that was that's a that was a huge, huge event, and he's used to big games, but that was massive. That was a massive thing, and he's ha- he's got that experience in the bank. That whole that whole run was you know was, was quite dramatic at times. So um, he comes off the back of that, and I think you could only benefit from that having those experiences as a coach. Yeah, no, I mean, again, I'll give him his fair shake. Like I said last week, I'll reiterate that I'll give him his 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 fair chance. See how he does, um, but you know, obviously. When you see coaches like Hernan Crespo, former Argentine great striker, lead Defensa y Justicia to their first international trophy this week, kind of at least to me, you see coaches maybe that are out there that are maybe a little more proven um, at a similar at a similar age. But 
The last but quote, could, well, Beckham, could Beckham trust Hernan Crespo to come in and do exactly what he wants in terms of his vision and have that? I, I do quite, I know it's a romantic journalistic story, whatever, but the, the, their close relationship I think is key because don't discount Beckham's role sure, in all yeah. this as well. You know, I mean, the guy's been... This, you know, will, this will reflect on Beckham. As ...of the last 20 years. So. Absolutely. This, this how, However this goes, whether it's for better or for worse, will reflect on Beckham and his decision-making. So um, we'll see. We'll see how we'll see how it plays out. And, and David Beckham is a very successful brand. He's, he's uh, hit the mark more often than he's missed. So... You know, if his, if David Beckham's brand is anything to go by, or his career is anything to go by, then this should be a, a good, a good hire. This should prove to be a good hire. But let's, we'll have to wait and see. Let's touch on this on this final quote before we close out this this segment. And it's Phil Neville talking on the academy players and the overall player pool that Inter Miami is interested in tapping in. He touches on the star players, but obviously, and this was a recurring theme not only from him but throughout the press conferences from all four subjects. They want to tap into more of the academy and more of the youth players. I think there's two types of players that we want. We want we want the we want the international star. We we, we live in a world where where football is universal. We, we're going to be we're going to be on every single telly worldwide. So we need an international player that, that that can relate to every household in the world. But ultimately, I think I think that young homegrown player is is absolutely essential to this football club. Someone that we can put on that field that has the heart the heart of an inter miami player and i think i think that is the biggest challenge over the next 12 months and i've got to say with with the backing of, of the ownership and, and the work that me and chris are going to do that is my that is my goal this year is to put somebody on that field that, that's got into miami blood steve what do you make of that yeah you know they've got the international star haven't they they've got Higuain, and you know matuidi as well but yeah we know we know that they need they need and they needed a top, top, top player from Europe or, or South America or whatever, just a, a, a superstar that can just get, you know, get eyeballs on onto the onto the team. So they they've they've done that. Now, obviously, they want to try and and produce young players. But he's talking about someone we can put on the field that has the heart of an Inter Miami player. That's a player coming through the ranks right now, the 14, 15, 16 year old. You know, can they start and identify these talents? and then kick them on into the first team. He said that's the big challenge over the next 12 months. That's the challenge over the next two years to see how they can do it, how many of those players can come through. Just like, here we go, eye-rolling again, back to 1992, class of 1992. <laughs> Skulls, Gary Neville, Phil Neville, Ryan Giggs, Nicky Butt, all those guys came through, came into the United first team. Famously, you know, Alex Ferber said, you can't win anything with kids. And then, of course, they went on this amazing run with those players in integral part. So that's you know, that's what they want to achieve. It's very, very difficult to do. That was a once-in-a-lifetime group of players that came through. But he knows, and, and certainly Chris Henderson knows, that you know, having worked, been in, in, in Florida before when he was in Mind Fusion, but he knows that this catchment area should be should produce a lot, a lot of good quality players. And they have to find them in development in the right way and set up the framework within the squad within the club, sorry, and have that scouting network and, and whatever else goes on on the inside and the coaches at the club to make sure these young kids progress so they can play with the likes of Higuain. Look, two, three years' time, Steve Beckham's here, Messi, Ronaldo, those sort of players, that, that ilk, that, that, that calibre of player is always going to be mentioned, but we have to... It's exciting to see the young players come through, exactly. I'll never forget the moment when Phil Neville broke through into the first team. It's a wonderful, wonderful moment for us all, you know. Steve, if I see you with a Manchester United jersey at the first game back at Inter-Miami CF Stadium this upcoming season, I am full-blown slide-tackling you. Um, I have cancer, 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 canc
kick style. Scissor kick style. Um, no, look. I, I, look, I think uh, this was, again, this is an overarching theme from all parties. And I think that they want to really tap into that because South Florida has been spoken about as a market that, or a, a, an area in the United States that has a lot of talent, but it's it's been untapped for a long time. And I think the idea is that that you can groom these talents into being professional players and you can fill up a pretty good MLS squad with, with enough domestic players that can, you know, not only make the local fan base really proud of, of what's being done and what's being uh, worked on and, and the work that's happening at the, at the club, but also that can help you be a successful team. Obviously you have to add some pieces to that in MLS and maybe that's where the international stars down the road come in, whoever it is at, at that point, like it is right now with Gonzalo Higuain and Blaise Matuidi. But I think that, you know, they're really going to stress and emphasize this home, these homegrowns and these academy players and the youth. Um, also because of the fact that it's a cheaper way to build a team than having to go spend, you know, X million amount to go sign a, a veteran player that's at the end of of his career. So I think that's part of the, the process. I think, you know, MLS has evolved, whereas a, a few years ago or, you know, they were signing older veterans. Now the focus is starting to change a little bit more and say we need to start building our from within and, and creating our own players so we can not only build successful teams but also have players that we can sell on and start making money off of transfer fees that can either come back into the club and you know it's a, it's a more healthy and successful way to to run to run a team. So I think that's more along the lines of why they're they're really trying to focus on this and emphasize this because it's it's a better financial model maybe for for MLS teams than it is um, you know maybe for other teams across the world that can can splash the cash. We'll we'll stop it there because we've been going at it for a bit. So we'll we'll take a quick break. We'll come back to talk about the recent MLS draft and Inter Miami's picks in that draft, as well as a couple more things. Steve, so another big talking point last week was the MLS Super Draft. I just referred to it as the MLS Draft because it's not very super in my opinion. It's gotten less and less super over the years since I started covering it when it used to be a lot of rounds. Now it's down to three. That's a product of you know different homegrown players and the homegrown rights and, and all things of that nature. So let's just quickly go over who Inter Miami drafted and what we think about, about the picks. So with their... 10th overall pick, you know, the, their Inter Miami's first pick in the first round. They went with Indiana forward Josh Penn. Then later in the first round, with the 26th overall pick, they went with University of Kentucky center back Aimee Mabika. And then in the second round, the 10th pick in the second round, 37th overall, they got Oregon State left back Joe Hafferty. Now, obviously, let's start with Josh Penn. Indiana forward, played for Indy 11, spent a bit of time with Indy 11 in 2020. For me, a lot of people were confused why they went forward when they had a need at the back. Obviously, at that point, Mabika hadn't been drafted. So for me, and I, I put this out on Twitter, is 
I think he's cover essentially for Lewis Morgan because Lewis Morgan started every game last year on the right wing. Uh, and I mean, I know he saw some time on the left wing, but he, essentially he was the, the, the go-to guy on the right wing and he didn't really have a backup. Didn't really have someone to, to fill in for him. Obviously he was sub out of games, but if that, if he had gone down injured, I think in Miami would have been in a real, real bind because there just wasn't anyone else that could give you anything close to, to what he could. And I, I don't, I'm not saying Josh Penn is going to give you something close to, to Lewis Morgan in terms of production, but I think he can fill in at that spot if if something happens. Because this year, you know, it should be more of a regular season in terms of the amount of games. So, you know, can you count on Lewis Morgan to start every single game over the course of, of a regular season or a regular, regular season? And also, if you know, if he, if he continues with this fine form, and Scotland calls him up for friendlies or games that are on their schedule for this year, you're going to need someone to step in and, and take that role or fill that role. So I think I think that's what Inter Miami's thought process is here. I don't think he's a striker. I don't think they're looking at him as a number nine. But you know, what do you think about him as a potential uh, backup for Lewis Morgan there on the right? Yeah, I mean, you know, he, his his resume sounds pretty, you know, pr- pretty pretty good. Five appearances, two two starts before joining Indiana. Um, you know, you just th- th- this is where Chris Henderson and his his experience and his know how of the leagues and the USL and, and the college system and everything. These are his picks, aren't they? You know, he's 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 powered this. He's he's set, you know he's he's identified the, these guys. So, you know, it, it it's on him. But again, young the young the young players aren't they coming through? So um, it's you just, you just don't know. Um, but there's a chance that one of them could could really really come off, um, especially under different coaching maybe and and just the way he, he's guided so yeah that these are all backup players but you know if they can get some some minutes off the bench and then start to impress it didn't who was coming on and really sort of changing the game or making you know doing something different it was such a mixed bag wasn't it there was it was so, so so little sort of depth in the squad so what well, let's have to, we'll have to wait and see now inter miami's second pick ended up being their last pick because the the third pick that they had, Oregon State left back Joe Hafferty, was traded after the draft to the Seattle Sounders for a second round selection in 2022. So they've essentially traded their second round pick in 2021 for the Seattle Sounders, you know, draft pick, second round draft pick in 2022. But just quickly to touch on, I met Mabika, a six foot six center back, large player, a lot of size, imposing in that regard. Not no, supposedly not the most technical player, but you know he he could be groomed into something fairly solid in MLS. I think that obviously they they needed to address center back. They need some bo- more bodies back there. They have Nicolas Vigal and Leandro Gonzalez Pires. You could throw in Christian McCoon, who's kind of a center midfielder slash center back. Not sure what his actual best position is, but I think I'm I I'm in Mabika will help. Or I admit Mabika will help give another depth option there. And we'll probably see some minutes in 2021. But I think that they're going to need to sign one more center back. Someone to be the number three and potentially push either Figal. Well, most likely Figal. Um, but also Gonzalez Pires for a starting spot. Because I don't think you can go into the season with Mabika as, as the as your number three. Because if Figal or Gonzalez Pires goes, goes down, you're, you're going to trust uh, a rookie to help. Try to you know manage the waters. I think that'd be a, a tough ask. You know he's he's young, he's big, he's athletic, he's strong. Um, you know, and they do need 
help in that way, don't they? Because they were just so short last year and so porous at times, especially from set plays, and just never was re- really that convincing. But again, like you say, it's he's he's a, he's a rookie player, but you know, um, was it made Conference USA Player of the Year. Um, so you never know. So it sounds like two intriguing picks when you when you sort of you know have a look at where they've been and what they've been doing and what people have been saying about them. I personally haven't seen them play, so I, I don't know. But, you know, from from what we're reading here, it sounds like they've got potential and that, that's why they've, they've signed them. And again, Chris Henderson would have known about these players. So it'd um, be interesting to see how they uh, how they, how they they get on. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see, you know, but I think the Inter-Miami addressed two positions or two areas that they needed to bolster. Obviously, still a lot of other areas that need to be addressed potentially, you know, with starting caliber players. And obviously that's a question that a lot of people have. And I think a lot of people asked, you know, in the aftermath and even before the draft. And I think instead of doing a Q&A session, we can just address that now to, to help close out the show here. What positions is Inter-Miami looking at to, to, to fortify and to make some additions in the coming weeks now that they have Chris Henderson and Phil Neville on board? So... Jorge Mas was on onside radio uh, after the press conferences on Friday, and he and he identified he named some of the positions. He didn't name any names, but he said the, he named the positions that they're looking at. And he said, left back, an attacking piece on the left side, a center midfielder, and center back reinforcement. So that's those are the four he named. I mean, I would imagine that there's probably another two, one or two spots maybe that they'll look at as well because. Again, I think goalkeeper is a spot that they're going to want to address. Um, but what do you think? What do you think about about those positions and just the overall approach? I'm actually surprised that, you know, and maybe, again, maybe he omitted this because he was just answering it in, in, in the thick of, of a conversation or, or an interview. But I'm surprised that they, they, he didn't say right back. And maybe they do go after a right back this this offseason, but I don't know. If if you know they see Dylan Nealis as a potential starter in year two, if they they think you know Nicolas Figal can be the guy that there again. But overall, what what did you think? What do you think about those positions being addressed? Yeah, I mean, look, we know that in in attacking wise, they need they need something else. Whether or not it's a it's a, another number nine, you know, sort of target man to maybe play with with Iguain. We're not going to go back to whether or not Phil, Phil Neville plays four four two or not. We haven't got that far down the road yet, but. Um, you know, what's going to happen with Pizarro? Is he going to stay or can they try and get the best out of him? They need some definitely some more creativity in, in midfield for sure. They, Will Trapp's gone, so they need, definitely need like a holding midfield player or someone to sort of dovetail with with Matuidi. Um, you know, that I guess that player could be a bit more creative, I guess. Um, but still, they need to... They just didn't, didn't create enough enough goals. If Lewis Morgan wasn't really doing anything, there wasn't much else happening really. So more creativity... A different striking option off off the bench, you know. I think even if Higuain's not working, can they throw someone else on? You know, someone just to to ruffle a few feathers, a, a, a Giroud or something like that. You know, I don't know. I'm just putting names out of the hat, but um, and then, <laughs> I don't think they're going to be able to get Giroud because they, they're at their three DP spots right now. And I don't th- I don't yeah. think I don't think based on everything they're saying, they're going to go back out and splash a whole lot of cash at least right now. On a on a on a big name DP. But Matuidi Matuidi wasn't a DP, was he? So you know that that maybe. Chiru in a couple of years, but I don't know someone someone like that. I don't know someone just to, to get a bit of excitement off the bench and just to to change things up. But yeah, as you mentioned, both fullbacks Ben Ben Sweat's gone, hasn't he? So um, as well, so that you know, they, they, there's a lot of a lot of places we just talked about the centre back again. The, the more centre, good centre backs they've got, the better really. The, the day that an MLS team has 
like a Gonzalo Higuain type caliber player starting up top, and then they have another caliber player of Olivier Giroud on the bench. That is the day MLS has not only won Concacaf Champions League; they are competing for uh, deeper runs at the at the Club World Cup because that's well, a, that's that's a that's a luxury to have, my friend. <laughs> I know. Okay, all right. Maybe gives you a you know a couple of yeah, thirty seven year old Olivier Giroud or something like that. But, uh, Olivier Giroud, sorry. Um, I, think, I, know, just, I think he'd still want some, to start somewhere else. He'd, he could start somewhere else in MLS. Someone, someone with a bit about them, someone with experience that can come on and, and change the game if they need to. If they're, if they're one down with 20 minutes to go, what can he do on the bench? What can he? How can he change it up? And unfortunately, sending on, you know, bless him. Again, we talk about rookies, like someone like, like Robbie, Robson, he, Robbie Robinson. He looks like he had potential. He's just too raw. And, you know, maybe, maybe um, you know, jo- Penn's, um, Josh Penn is going to be too raw. Maybe Mabika would be too raw as well. We don't know, but that's the job of the, of the coaching staff to get them ready. But, um, you know, a bit, of, a bit of experience and know-how of things to come off the bench and change things or, or, or be a starter, you know, um, that's, that's what they need. It, it is MLS though, so you can't, you know, you can't address everything. Um, no. I, th- I think Julian Carranza could be the number two strike, striker option this season. They obviously invested money in him, so... Maybe they see him as the number two going into his second season. I, I agree with you that they could add one more piece up top, maybe a more experienced player than Carranza and, and Robbie Robinson, just to just to have that tool in in, in the tool bag. But um, I don't think it's going to be a player that's you know obviously at a very high level because you know they have a lot of other positions that they need to address. Um, you said curiously enough or interestingly enough, you said that they need some more creativity in the midfield. I agree with that. To, to an extent, I do. But I think in terms of, if we're talking about that first line of the midfield, I think that they need more of a number six, a little bit more of a, of a pit bull terrier that can go in there and, and win some battles and win some balls. And that'll help maybe free up Blaise Matuidi to play a little bit more advanced. Not that Blaise Matuidi is going to be pulling the strings, but um, I think that they need a number six. That was well. That was Will Trap, wasn't it? I, I thought yeah, he was but, but Will, tra- but Will a Trap. Sure, well, but Will Trap's known for his uh, technical abilities and his, his ability to ping a pass. He's not the most athletic player, not the most fierce player. Doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily known for his crunching tackles and his fiery personality, which is what I think Inter Miami could use just to bring that bite into the midfield a little bit more. But Matuidi brought some of it. With, with some with some smarts and with some experience and with some uh, technical skills, but I think they could use a, a, a workhorse in there, just a just a dogged midfielder that's going to go in there and bite some ankles, um, for lack of a of a better phrase. Steve, we'll we'll wrap we'll leave it there. Um, you know, obviously we'll get your final thought here before we close out. So, Steve, what's if it's anything to do with Manchester United? I'm going over to your place right now and yeah, slide tackling you. Don't worry, I'm gonna. I'll send you. There actually was a class of '92 documentary about <laughs> Phil. And yeah. Oh, were you the were uh, you were you the co-producer of that? I, I would imagine yeah, I so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually it's actually good. So you should you should watch that. <laughs> learn up learn up your football history, and then you'll understand once you watch that. But no, I, no, I just think bottom line is they had to make a change. It wasn't for whatever reason stuff wasn't working on and off the pitch. They, they've made a change. I, I, I did think it was interesting that Beckham, who we haven't really spoken to much. Uh, you know, in the last even like six years, and been covering the thing. He, he appears now and then. Never really spoken too much about football, and this was the first time I thought when he was he was basically saying, "I'm hands on. I want to be in there." He's been in the training ground every day. He's been 
getting to know everyone, which was he wanted to do initially, but because of COVID, he couldn't. So, you know, the dynamic, I think, has just slightly changed. And I think that makes it exciting. And I think for the fans should be looking at it thinking it's a fresh start. They've had the experiences of last year. And now I think the next few weeks are going to be interesting to see what they do transfer-wise and how they're going to try and get different players in. So that that's going to be really interesting. And, and Chris Henderson is supposedly this this guru, this guy that's going to, you know, sort of pull all the strings and get the right players in. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how they how they get on. And then when Phil comes back and then gets 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 to work on the training ground as well, are we going to see a difference in, in the way they set up? So that's, it's, you know, all, are we are we actually going to see a season start? Uh, we, we don't really know yet right now, but um, hopefully all being well, you know, they'll, they'll start getting together within the next sort of few weeks and then um, the season will be upon us. My final thought is that, you know, we touched on, the four subjects, the four men that were up there on the press conferences on Friday, but we t- we touched on Chris Henderson the least. His role from here until when the season starts will be vitally important, and he's gonna. I, you don't be surprised if you see him bringing some decent to good MLS players, uh, as well as you know maybe a couple of foreign signings that have probably already been in the works somewhat. Because the team and the squad has to be rounded out. It's obviously still missing uh, a few few pieces. So there, that's his work to be done. That's the next piece of the puzzle or the next part of the process. Um, so Chris Henderson's job will be on full display over the, the next few weeks. But I expect that he'll he'll probably make some good, um, some very good additions. And harping back to what we said earlier about the youth and the academy structure and the the desire for the team to want to promote someone from within the club already don't be surprised if you see ian frey sign a contract with the first team in the coming days or weeks but that about does it for now on miami total football radio again don't forget to follow our social media channels as well as leave us a review on apple podcast on behalf of steve brenner aka david beckham's long lost cousin aka the biggest manchester united fan on this podcast i'm franco panizo and we'll talk to you guys again next week